think we have all seen what's happened when we get a participation ribbon for something that doesn't deserve a reward in the first place. Maybe in school, people were reinforced by the fact that just by being in the room that you receive some reward. And yet the messaging that we're hearing a lot these days is how you kind of rise above that to be able to come into your growth, come into, uh, you know, challenge yourself to achieve other things. And that flies directly in the face of just getting a ribbon or an award for being in the room because it's not how real life works. So think about what this might mean to you. Think about instances of where this might have changed over your lifetime or how you're trying to fight it now. As we t- Josh and I launch out onto the loop today and discuss the, f- the myth of the participation ribbon, today on Curiosity Continuum. Hey everybody, this is Josh. And this is Brian. Welcome to Curiosity Continuum. So if you guys are tuning in for the first time, Curiosity Continuum is a podcast and a movement started by uh, Brian and myself, and we are two lifelong friends. We want to enhance your everyday contextual awareness in a constantly changing world, and we're going to do this to you by sharing common practical topics. So you can find us in curiositycontinuum.com. There I'll have everything you need in order to Link off to your favorite podcasting service and add us to your RSS feed. Please subscribe. It helps us find new audiences and it helps uh, get you in the know, in the loop as we continue on with our podcasts. Uh, We're dropping these on a regular basis and we'd love for you to stay up in the loop with us and be able to carry those into your conversations throughout the week. Yeah. And I mean, we've been getting great feedback, uh, both Brian and I, on all this stuff. You guys have been emailing us. You've been... If you have our phone numbers, you're texting us, you're calling us. I mean, I'm getting probably one one time a week at least somebody saying something about it. So it's great. And if you want to contact our offices, you can dial us at 867-5309. That's 867-5309. Please sure you ask for Jenny on the other end. Nice. But um boom. <laughs> okay. All right, Brian. So we're talking about the myth of the participation ribbon today. And how did you want to start this? Well, just by the name of it, um, I know there's been a lot of things that have come around where people have wanted to especially reinforce effort, which I think is good. Sure. But what happens a lot of times is that you you start to do that and you think that everything should be a reward. Yeah, like there and, should be some kind of reward for just being there. Right. And there are winners and there are losers. And losers kind of became... I think out of vogue, probably after, um, you know, the early aughts, you know, the nineties especially were, you know, I'm a loser baby. So why don't you kill me? And uh, the Beck song and everything like that. It was kind of more like the anger and the angst and all the types of feeling a little bit out of place and stuff like that, you know, but then came this thing where like, well, everybody's uh, valuable and important, which is a a good message. But the problem is that the reward actually reinforced uh, wrong expectations about when you receive like a positive consequence or, you know, kind of reaping the benefits of what you've sowed in the in the previous season of your life or so. Sure. So, I mean, let's just take an example. Like we had in our schools where we, where we grew up, we had what was called AAA. So that was Arts and Academic Awards, which I'm floored I remember that. <laughs> but that was <laughs> all through like our that. elementary school years, correct, Brian? If I remember right? It did, yeah, for part of it. I um, think it, we, it stopped... Like at the sixth, um, seventh grade, something like that. It was actually was that after that? middle I think, school. Fi- 
I think K through four was when we did it. So if, I guess if you think about it in that way, you know, you want to try to recognize students for participating in it because I think they had to compete in at least one event. Right. And you could do, so it was like handwriting, it was art, it was some yeah, other type of yeah, expression. Yeah, there was reading, there was handwriting, there was art. There was also like computer programming and some weird like stuff like that because I remember I did a computer program for that. Okay. And I did handwriting. Um, I tried drawing. I was never good at drawing. <laughs> I think that was part of it. Like, it was it was trying to get you out of your comfort zone, and then also give you something comfortable to do. Right. So in the way, in that way, it would work well because you're encouraging people to do that. Right. Right. And especially at a young age, it forces you to kind of go, oh, well, what else could I do? You know. Now they stopped that though about fifth grade, and then kind of from there. You know, there wasn't any of that specific kind of thing. There were other extracurricular activities yes. or something if you yep. wanted to do it. But like, uh, you know, for a while I did math team. Yeah, me too. And, yep. you know, and it was, you'd go to the meets and you'd do math. And knowledge bowl and. <laughs> yeah, all those other things. Some people like want to claw their eyeballs out when they hear that. But, you know, pretty fun at the time. <laughs> Us uber nerds like that. Uber, <laughs> uber nerds. Yeah. But the, we didn't get a, an award if we lost. Right. We lost. And the winners won. So, so, okay. So from like how you're talking about, like, you know, the winners get, you know, you know, you didn't get an award if you lost, but how is that? How are you going to equate that to today? Like business wise or just in life in general, or let's talk about an example. I think that everybody has run into more and more and having talked to uh, restaurant tours and everything too, they run into this issue, especially when you're talking about uh, restaurant servers, for example, right? So what we're talking about is uh, the servers that really, the way restaurants work when they, in large part, when they have a service-based industry like that, is the servers actually get less than an hourly wage. Right. You know, they get kind of like almost like a token amount. And really what they're living and subsisting on is the tips. So it's important for that server to be able to serve the customer well, be attentive, you know, be, be polite, you know, smile, say, you know, uh, please and thank you, that type of thing. And, you know, be mindful of the guests in the restaurant. Well, in the United States, especially like, you know, there's you, about 20% or so is kind of like a good healthy tip. There's also 15% or whatever. And that's kind of written into the fabric that if you go and you have good service, you kind of are tipping that amount. What's happened a lot of times, though, is that uh, some folks have the idea that just by them being there, that, well, then you just put 20% onto the ticket. And that's not actually how it works. It works because you provided a service and you were happy with the service and therefore then you tip the server. Sure. So, I mean, let's take an example. Like I know in a lot of European countries, they have this like baked in to the price. And I've had friends that go to Europe and have eaten in at your, you know, in a restaurant and they get lousy service because that price is already baked in. They're going to get that no matter what. So, so you're saying that we obviously should try, you know, you should try hard and have pride in your work so that you can succeed. You can succeed. What it also does too, though, it reinforces that, um, if there's something, if you're always going to get a reward regardless of the effort, Sure. Then the smart folks are going to say that I'm not going to put any effort in because I get the same reward. Right. Why would I work harder? But if they're saying that, hey, you know what? If I provided outstanding service and this is what it means uh, for my job as far as getting additional tips from, you know, the patrons of the restaurant, or if it means that you're in uh, like a full-time job position, 
you know, and uh, your paycheck isn't a foregone conclusion. Even if you're paid on like a biweekly basis and you have all your benefits and taxes taken out, just by you being there doesn't mean that that justifies your paycheck. Uh, I had a chance to sit next to this gentleman who uh, is into his 60s, and he started, he's been a, a longtime computer uh, programming professional for many years. He actually worked at IBM during the OS2 era and has had a couple different rodeos and things. And so he's at the end of his career now. And I asked him, I said, let me ask you a question. I said, in a tech field that you're in, just from your expertise, I said, what are the younger workers coming into your field lacking? Or what, what do you feel like they would benefit from now that you kind of can look back on everything? And he was very thoughtful for a moment. And he said, uh, basic business skills is what his answer was. He said, we have a lot of competent people. He said, we got really skilled people. He said, but some of these folks don't even know how to really carry a conversation with other people in the business. And they assume that they can just show up and like, well, of course I'll get my raise. Of course I get my this, of course that. And he said, no, he said like the, the reason why he said I've done what he's done in his career is because he actually learned how to navigate those situations and understand that like, you show up on time and you put an effort and like you, when you see an opportunity, you're going to go chase it down and right. And so you're going to, you're going to be, you're, you're really talking about being a self-starter, being a good employee being that competent person that everyone turns to. Yes. That way, even it doesn't mean like you have to go out and start five businesses to be right. able to do that. Right. It's, it's, it's serving diligently and serving smartly and, and treating and stewarding that position really, really well so that you're valuable. Right. So, I mean, I'll give an example from my life. I used to work retail a long time ago, um, a long time ago now, but I actually did not like working retail, but I love talking to people and I love the service aspect of it and all that. I always try to make myself the most valuable person in the room. If there was something being done that I didn't understand or I didn't know how to do, for example, run the register or, you know, take a customer complaint or stock the shelves or even clean, I would ask, how do I do that? So I wanted to be like basically the Swiss Army knife there so if they needed me to do something or pick up an hour here or a shift here i could do it yeah yep and um i think a lot of businesses too they are they're only now starting to see the value of having some of that the the generalist swiss army knife characteristics for their workers even if it's something what they specialize in nothing totally exists in a vacuum you have to have those other skills people might call them soft skills Right. Or the people skills or right. uh, the willingness to learn. Right. You know, uh, if you don't have that, then especially if you're a business owner and you want your business to grow, you want your people to be able to learn and to, to be able to not only better themselves, but also to, it's going to better that business. And, you know, every, right. all the boats are going to rise. Because, I mean, gone are the days of this. I mean, and um, this is kind of an example from if you're older than probably 40, you're going to remember this kind of thing. You go into a store with your mom or dad or whatever, or even yourself, you went into the store, you said, look, I'm looking for a dryer. And so you're talking to this guy or woman or whoever, and you know, they're talking to you about the dryer and you're like, oh yeah. And they're bringing you over to the department where these dryers are sold. And then they hand you off to another person. So I think a lot of businesses are finding out, I know like uh, Best Buy, for example, has this position where they have a customer that, you know, a person that greets you at the front door, and they take you through the entire store, whatever you're looking for. That person stays with you through your own entire journey. And I think that 
more businesses are seeing the value of that because it's that personal connection you have with employees and customers. And even if you don't deal with the customer directly, you're dealing with other employees. Yeah, for sure. The time now, like if, like for example, if you're going to go buy a car, there's so many resources available online. Sure. Even at that one specific car, you can find everything you want to know about that car and all the recalls and everything else. And you're going in so prepared as a consumer potentially that you don't necessarily need the person to educate you on the same points that you can find out yourself. It's all the other necessary human components to go along with it. Right? Yes. Yep. How did, how did this person make me feel? All those kind of things. Um, what was really interesting is I had a chance to talk to a uh, retired lieutenant colonel recently from the military. And uh, I asked him about a quote that I saw on LinkedIn where it talked about uh, what is happening is that people in the military are actually overvaluing their experience in the military when it comes to the private sector. And that kind of bristled me a little bit. I'm going like, man, that's kind of rude for that person to say. Right. And uh, that the person was ba basically making the point that the military has uh, is more generalists than specialists. Right. And so you want to differentiate yourself in the in the private sector as you go that direction. But I asked the uh, lieutenant colonel, I said, like, tell me about that. Like, does that resonate with you or like because you just stepped into the private sector? How does that work for you? And he said he thought about it for a moment. He goes, you know, he said in the military, he said, you have to be a generalist because you're always concerned about potentially backfilling somebody else if they're taken out in the line of duty. If something else happens like the, you still need to operate as a unit. You need to be able to have that that capability to be able to do you know other things other than just what you're asked to do competently so that your unit or your mission or whatever else can run successfully right? sure he said i would say that going into the private sector that um he said i realized he said i waited i rested a little bit too hard on my lieutenant colonel status and just assumed kind of like a, an authority position but i realized very quickly i had to kind of take the position of like coming alongside folks again the military, it's a pretty, you know, here's the chain of command. This is sure. what it is. Yeah, lieutenant he said, colonel, he ain't going to take no crap. <laughs> right, exactly. And so coming in now to the field where he's brand new to the field, but has this leadership experience, he had to kind of pivot how he led a little bit because people in the private sector had a different leadership dynamic than in the military. Sure. So what's the big takeaway from this, Brian? The big takeaway here is that um, for... You don't get a reward in life just by taking up space. For just showing up. For just showing up. You need to contribute. I'm going to tell a story. This is, I know that we're, we're kind of like we're running on our episode, but I'm going to tell a story because this is very relevant. My dad, I remember my mom and dad, both of them, and they had this view uh, with me while I was growing up because I asked them, you know, I said, you know, what am I going to do when I get older? I, I think a lot of kids ask their parents, like, what am I going to do? And my dad, um, you know, one day he told me, he goes, Josh, I don't care what you do in life. And I'm like, you don't? He goes, no, I just want you to be happy and be a productive member of society and wherever you're at. So I think that's a great takeaway. I do too. Yep. You know, that means that it's an active stance. It's not something that can be passively fulfilled ever. Mm-hmm. So the, the place that I would uh, encourage people to do is, uh, is to, be, to be a good citizen, like Josh said. And uh, there's, do you hear that noise in the microphone? I did. That's okay. That's, Sabrina's upstairs. That's okay. I don't need to actually say that because you already said it. 
So be a good citizen. So I'll say this. I'll say, it's a great place to put a comment in the conversation, don't you? Yeah, I do too, Brian. So until next time, this is Brian. And this is Josh. For Curiosity Continuum. Let's do that again. That's okay. Okay. No, it didn't show up, Brian. We're good. Oh, it didn't show up? No, now it did after we're done, so we're fine. Okay.